Hi, this is Lauren Grisanti, and you're listening to the Seven Directions podcast. Today's episode is with Jacqueline DeForge. Her company, Interior Creature, is all things human design. Um, So what really is human design? I wasn't sure either before our conversation. It's actually a really interesting intersection of science and spirituality, which uses data to determine your exact placement in time and space relative to the solar system based on the precise moment of birth. So there's a few different things that make up what is called a human design chart. One thing is your center, your type, your channel, your gate, and your profile. So all of these things collectively make up your chart. So we go into how to read a chart, what these different um, components really are defined by and what they mean, how her method is all self-taught based on many different books that she's read and studied herself, and also her decision to really focus on this. She transitioned from a background in teaching and publishing, which left her a little bit burnt out and wanting to follow another career, something that lit her up. And I can totally resonate with that myself, leaving um, a career in technology that I was in for seven years. And, you know, it's super intimidating and it takes a lot of courage and um, I love her story of really coming to that decision and you know deciding that she wanted to really pursue this so yeah check it out human design and here we go Hey, Jacqueline, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How's Arizona? It is warm and lovely, and we have cloudless skies right now. It's really beautiful. (laughs) Amazing. I miss New York, though. I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, I saw you're in Brooklyn. I'm like, oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I know. Brooklyn is really fun. I'm based in um, a town called Clinton Hill. Oh, I know where that is. Kind I of lived like in downtown. Astoria. Yeah, I oh, lived in Astoria perfect. for years. I was in New York. I was New Yorker for 10 years. Oh, so perfect. that's why I say I miss it. I miss it on like a visceral kind of like <laughs> level. So very cool. Yeah, yeah. So um, thank you so much for joining me. I'm super excited to kind of get into everything human design. I was reading about you and your website and I'm really looking forward to like learning more about what this actually is. Um, I heard the term human design maybe like a month ago, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that there's a lot of things to dive into and, you know, what it really means by the definition and what it really doesn't mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. We can talk about that because there's a lot of, there's a lot of misconceptions that people come to my readings sometimes and I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to tell you when you're getting married. And <laughs> like, no, I can't predict how many children you're going to have. Like, that's not a, it's not, it's not prophecy. 
yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not like a like a tarot card reading or anything like well, that, even tarot, right? Even tarot is not, I do tarot as well. Tarot is not prophecy either. Tarot is just kind of like the, like the universe kind of like, almost like walking you through how to problem solve, if you will. Like it basically, yeah. So tarot is not supposed to do that either. I always think that's like a buyer beware thing. If you ever go to a tarot reader or someone that like tries to give you like really specific information about like when you're going to die or like when, how many you know children you're going to have. It's like, that's not, no, like we have free will and all that. Right. Yeah. I totally, I totally agree. Like a friend of mine, um, does tarot and she's like it's really a two-week window after you get a reading because you do have free will like it's kind of giving you like the immediate what's going on right now yep and you're feeling but Mm -hmm. after that period things can go many different ways oh absolutely and tarot is going to call you on your shit as well like tarot will definitely let you know like hey you're making the wrong decision but like it it like you can't project that far into the future it's really just dealing with like what just happened where you are now and like what potentially, it's almost like, um, oh, who is it? Uh, uh, Benabel Wen, who wrote that book, Holistic Tarot. She talks about it as like shining a flashlight on a, on a rocky beach. And like, <laughs> you can only kind of see what's in front of you. And it's, it's your choice to walk into the rocks. Like if you want right. to, like tarot's going to let you know what's there. You could probably walk behind them, but like, it's not set in stone. You kind of see what the terrain looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So Let's get into, you know, before going into Interior Creature, which is your company, Mm -hmm. I'd love to learn a little bit more about your background, where you're from originally, and some of the influences that drew you to this line of work. Yeah, so um, I'm from Baltimore, uh, originally. I lived in New York City for about a decade. Um, So I, it's funny, I look back at my life, and it's, it's like someone who has, and we'll get into human design later, it's kind of the traditional path of like someone who's had like the their self-center open. I've had very distinct kind of eras and windows in my life. Um, Mm. When I was a kid, I thought I wanted to be an actress. Like you couldn't have told me otherwise. Like I was going to be on Broadway. I was going to sing. I was going to dance. And that was like the thing I pursued for like probably 19, 20 years. Um, And then I got to college and I realized all of a sudden, like one day that stopped lighting me up. It stopped turning me on. It stopped like being the thing that I I really wanted to give all my energy and passion to. Mm -hmm. And so kind of, I got to the end of college and I'm like, well, what am I going to do with my life? Because theoretically we're supposed to have everything figured out by the time we're 18 and 19. And that's absolutely ridiculous. Like that's not at all. Like, I don't know. I just think that's such a lot of pressure to put on kids, you know, in terms of like what they want to do. So anyway, I, um, I came across an ad for teach for America, I think in the back of like an Oprah magazine, it was really random, but I, but I had always been really passionate about educational equity and, um, we had moved when I was in fifth grade. So I understood the difference between like a lower kind of working class income neighborhood in Baltimore and a, um, higher income area. And I, I saw kind of through my own experience, the differences in funding and teacher quality and access to resources that the kids mm-hmm. had. And I just, there was something that had always been kind of in the back of my mind. So I thought, oh, this would be an interesting thing. Let's just try it out. Ended up getting accepted. And um, flash forward, I'm teaching in the South Bronx in New York City. Um, and I taught first and second grade. And so I kind of, for some reason, like early childhood literacy is something that just clicked with me. So mm-hmm. that was my path for years. I started in the uh, public sector, working in schools and coaching, and then um, was kind of swept into the private sector doing consulting and sales for um, a major publishing house. And I never really kind of stopped to realize, like, it was always something that came very easy. Every step kind of just unfolded naturally into the next one. 
But yeah. because it was so easy, I never questioned really like whether it was the thing I was supposed to be doing. Like, did it give me joy? Did it turn me on? Did it light me up? It just was the thing that seemed like the path that was unfolding. And um, in the past, like three, three and a half years in the, the last job I had, um, it was getting kind of insane in terms of just hours and expectations. I was working 70 to 80 hour work weeks pretty consistently. I was traveling from Sunday afternoon to Friday night. Wow. Um, I was just constantly on the road and I was kind of witnessing my own personal erasure, if that makes sense. Like yeah. so much of my life was my job mm-hmm. and there was not enough space for me. And so even decisions like what am I going to have for lunch were based on, okay, well, I have 15 minutes to get from this meeting to this meeting and I'm in a small town and do I have time to get to the grocery store so I can have something healthy or there's a McDonald's right over there. And yes, that's gross. And that's not what I want to be eating, but I literally (laughs) don't have a choice. And so it was, it was getting to the point where my body was suffering. Like I was, my sleep was impacted. I was waking up in a different hotel room every day. Um, and just my diet was awful. And I just, I realized very it just hit me very gradually how deeply unhappy I was. And even I tried, like, even though I was trying to kind of carve in joy where I could or carve in things that were like, um, that lit me up. Like I was listening to wellness podcasts. I was trying to, um, pull in books where I could and, and, you know, read when I had the energy. I just, I was really finding like, I didn't even know what made me happy anymore. And so, um, I ended up getting to the point where I got so sick that I had to quit. Um, Mm. my body just basically was like, you're done. Like time, yeah. <laughs> like you can't do this anymore. And um, and at, during that time, I had um, I had actually heard about human design in kind of a similar way to you. It was a very kind of tangential type of thing. Like it had come up in a couple of podcast groups that I was in, or people had mentioned it on their blogs. And um, one post in particular that I read, somebody had said, "Pardon me, having a human design reading had changed their life in terms of like it gave them such clarity around their purpose, around." what their dharma and karma might be about how they're best to use their energy or enter into decisions. And that all of a sudden was like, I need to know everything about that system because those are the answers that I need. So I actually went into human design, not thinking I'm going to do this for other people. I literally needed those answers myself. And the things I was coming across online um, were very dated and were very jargony and technical. And I almost feel like the folks who, and I, I don't want this to sound negative, but it's, it's just a difference in perspective. I almost feel like they, they don't realize that we're in the information age. Everything, mm-hmm. when you go through those specific kind of channels or official channels of people who are like certified, et cetera, um, everything's hidden behind a paywall. Or if it is free and accessible, there's like such a precise, specific way they speak about it that it's incredibly high level and heady and jargony. And it's not really built to be something that anyone can kind of dig into. Like astrology is something that's like incredibly accessible. Like once you get past like the technical jargon um, of like houses and planets and, you know, Chiron and who the hell is that and all this stuff. Like it's, it's easy to kind of figure out what it all means, but with human design, it almost seems like purposely dense. And so once I kind of cracked the code for myself, because I'm, I'm a little stubborn, (laughs) I'm one of those people who's like, I'm not just going to take like, this is hard for answer. Like I'm going to hack this thing until I figure it out. Um, once I figured out my own chart and saw just how accurately it depicted me and articulated me and gave me the language to really understand like some of the choices I had made in the past or why things had gone a certain way, um, I just found it so incredibly empowering. I was like, I need to do this for as many people as possible. Like there needs to be a, you know, a 2018 version of what this information is and how to utilize it and how to kind of, you know, make it 
modern and actionable and practical for, you know, the new, the next generation is coming at this and learning about it. Okay. So who gave you your first reading? Was it someone in particular? No, I never had my, I never had oh, a reading. I gave myself did. my first reading. Yeah. I see. Okay. I, um, because a lot of the people who I was, um, finding who had gone through the official, like certificate certified channels, yeah. um, were all very, first of all, it was cost prohibitive. It was like three, four, $500 in some cases to have your chart read, which right. I was just like, that's like a luxury handbag. Like, yeah. That's like a very, that's a, that's a big chunk of money. Right. And, so, and I had, I had heard mixed things from people on different like forums about like how helpful those readings actually were. And I'm one of those people and it's actually in my chart. I'm, I'm kind of, I don't take advice well. Um, I have mm-hmm. to kind of figure things out for myself. So okay. I have my own chart. Got for it. the first time, yeah. So I never had a formal reading. Okay, so when did you hack your chart? Like, uh, when was that? About six months ago. Okay. Yeah. And as soon as, like, you read it and, like you said, it was really speaking to you, it really defined everything that you were feeling, mm-hmm. when did you make that decision work-wise? You said that you were in more of, like, a corporate setting before mm-hmm. to make that transition into doing this full time and what was the thing that initially propelled you to start your own business? Well, I, it was funny. I, so I quit my job in February of 2018. And so I had just been kind of like hacking my own chart at that point in time. Um, kind of slowly when I had time, cause I did not have a lot of time. So it was, that was more like web-based trying to kind of like see what I could find online. Even though I had a giant box of books, I basically, um, <laughs> one night, um, impulse bought Amazon's entire section of human design books. <laughs> so luckily there's not many, there's only like about 10 books on human I mean, design make, that are like publicly accessible. Yeah. They make it so easy, right? You just have it to is, click a button. Exactly. <laughs> and so like I became the proud owner of all of human design, but, um, yeah, so I, um, was working kind of through hacking my own chart at that point in time. And when I quit my job, I literally did not know what was coming next. It was very right. much like a, and it literally at first I thought I would go back into the same sector and find a job in the same kind of, you know, Oh, I'll just do literacy for a different company. And, um, I, I realized very quickly that that was not going to give me joy, that that was not something that like my whole body was rejecting that idea of like looking for work in that. And I'd mm-hmm. always wanted to be self-employed. I'd always wanted to write, but I didn't really know what that was going to look like. And so what I basically did was I went up to, I live in Phoenix. And so I went mm-hmm. up to Sedona and Sedona for me is such a beautiful, it's that, that's such a magical, lovely kind of quiet energy to it. Um, right. and it's really restorative and really rejuvenating. And, um, I went up for a week and I basically like turned my phone off and just focused on what, what made me happy, which for me, like I get a lot of joy and a lot of, um, calm and just peace of mind from hiking and just being out in nature. And so I went hiking, I kind of got very quiet and I, I had one of those kind of conversations I think we've all had with the universe at some point where it's like, okay, like I'm putting uh-huh. my faith and trust in you, but I do not know what comes next. And I, I need some sort of concrete guidance or support because I can't, you know, I obviously like, I know I'm, I know that what I'm doing right now is actually not meant. It's not this, like, yeah. this is not it. So like, what is that next thing? Like you need to give me some signs. And almost immediately I got off the trail and I went back to, uh, into town to go to lunch. And within a 15 minute span, three different women had been talking about the book, um, the women who run with the wolves. And I'm like, so I got to read that. Apparently that's a sign. That was like my first ping. So I, um, I pulled that book up and I read it and, um, I had been working through that. And inside, um, Dr. Clarissa Pingola Estes talks a lot about like feeding your interior creature and getting back in touch with, um, that, that woman inside of you that maybe has been 
uh, stifled or erased by just all the demands put on us as women in life. And um, that just for me really resonated very deeply because that is exactly what I had been going through. And um, so that's where the website kind of came from. But I still didn't know it was going to be like human design focused until I kind of went through that process of completely hacking my own chart and figuring out what it meant. And then I started trying to figure out like, okay, well, if this is like resonating so deeply for me, it must be like, it's got to resonate for other people. So I literally was like pounding friends, like, give me your birth date, place and time. Like, I want to run your chart. Like, let me analyze this for you. And through reading for other people that I knew, I was seeing them articulated so clearly within this system that I was like, Mm. I, I just felt very called to do it for other people. Um, and then around the time where I was trying to figure out like, well, what, is that a viable business model? Is that something I can even do? Um, Jenna Zoe was being interviewed on several podcasts and it was almost like, I literally just asked the universe, like, is this something I can actually do for other people? Like, is this a, is this even a life path? Are there people who do human design? Is there, you know, is there thing? Vocation? Yeah. Yeah. And that was literally like within a week, I had started hearing her on podcast tours and I'm like, oh, so people do do this. Okay. So this is an actual, (laughs) this is maybe that I, so I took that as my sign of like, yeah, okay, well I can start doing this for other people. So um, that's how Air Interior Creature kind of morphed into not just a space to kind of explore self-care and soul care, but um, more using human design as our primary tool to do that. Amazing. Yeah. And I really resonate with that story because I myself within the last three months have left a career in technology um, and similar, like I was working really long hours, very kind of unhappy with what I was doing, but not really sure what the next step would be. But over the last, I would say eight or nine years, I've been very interested in everything wellness from yoga to meditation, Mm -hmm. Reiki, um, even, you know, Gua Sha and, I, I was like, okay, what can I do with all of these teachings that I've accumulated over the last, you know, decade or so? And it took me about a month to really meditate on it. And that's when I came up with offering my own modality of energy work that kind of took a piece of each one of those teachings. And um, that's something that I'm working on right now as well. And launching within the next few weeks. So I think for most people, like what you said, you know, you might get into a career because it's just kind of presented to you. And then Mm -hmm. after a period of time, you're like, wait, what am I doing? Like, why am I doing this? (laughs) So yeah, that I love that you were finally like, you know what, I'm just going to do this and I'm going to follow the pings and I'm going to move forward with it. It was a giant leap of faith. And I think for me, and this was something that I felt sad didn't sit well with people around me, but I was okay with, with the not knowing like the kind of getting quiet and holding space and just saying like, okay, like I'm going to allow something greater than myself to start guiding me. Um, whereas I know that that, that made a lot of people around me largely uncomfortable. Like I, I've got a lot of questions in terms of, well, what is next? Like, what are you doing next? Where are you applying? Right. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm going to figure this out by myself. And right. Yeah. Yeah. Entrepreneurship like freaks family out yes, for it sure. <laughs> it totally does. <laughs> yeah. My, my mom and my dad were like, so what are you doing? <laughs> yep. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to not, you know, I'm going to focus on my business and I'm going to do this. I've been working mm-hmm. in startups for so many years. Like I want to now build my own thing. I don't want to help other people like build companies that I'm not passionate about. So yep. absolutely. All right. So 
by definition, I Googled human design and it said human design is a science of differentiation. It shows each of us that we have a unique design and a specific purpose to fulfill within the earth. Endless possibilities for individual um, uniqueness lie within our genetic matrix. Accurate or not accurate? Yes, absolutely. Um, But I would add to that. So the guy who channeled um, human design, basically, it's almost like the perfect mesh of like several different systems. So there's the chakra system represented in it within our centers. Um, It incorporates Kabbalah's tree of life. If you look at the centers in our body, it's almost as if they took the tree of life and flipped it upside down. Um, The uh, I Ching, the hexagrams from the I Ching are also kind of represented within the system as is astrology. But in terms of those, so there's those ancient kind of cultural systems that have been around for, you know, centuries. Um, But it also combines it with genetics and biochemistry and quantum physics. And so there's observable science that's been meshed into it as well. And so it's kind of a perfect amalgamation of the two things. Um, And absolutely, it is all about differentiating who you are and what's specifically going to work best for you and your energy um, and the way that you're specifically designed to, you know, give your gifts to the collective in this lifetime. So I gave you my birthday, my time of birth, and where I was born before our call. Mm -hmm. So what are those three things and how do those uh, apply to reading someone's chart? So basically, so a little bit about human design as well, and this is going to get a little woo. So again, (laughs) you can can suspend your disbelief as well. Like it's, it's something you don't need to necessarily believe in or um, embrace the origin story of the system to still benefit from its teaching. So basically in 1987, the system is channeled by a gentleman who uh, was named at the time Robert Allen Krakauer. But once he channeled the system, he became Ra Uruhu. And um, the system itself basically is, um, so it's, it's an amalgamation of all those different teachings. And we know in astrology, the exact time you're born is incredibly important. And right. so like, it's basically looking at the reason the time, the place, and the date are important is it takes that, like, basically where you are in space-time and the moment that you, like, exit the womb and, you know, are your own autonomous being, like, in the world, um, that, that's, there's an important thing that happens in terms of the neutrinos that are coming through the field. And it, it gets very sciencey, but basically just know the, enti- the moment you're born and where you're born is important. And mm-hmm. then a moment three months before you're born is imp- important as well because that's another time where there's specific, like, energy that's coming into you know, the stratosphere that's imprinting upon you, some of your unconscious traits. So in human design, there's your unconscious design, which is that three month, uh, mm-hmm. three month mark before you're born. Um, okay. On top of that, there's the moment of your birth, which is your conscious personality. And so both of those things are reflected in your body graph. Um, so that's why it's really important in terms of time and place. And again, with the natal chart, it's almost like that is laid on top of your energy system as well. And so we know the moon transits every two and a half days. So it's really important to kind of know exactly when you were born, so you can tell, can kind of get the, the planets fixed in the sky in terms of where everything is mm-hmm. and how it's touching your gates and your channels and et cetera. That's kind of the simplest. I'm trying to boil down something very, very yeah. complex. It's no, super simple. No, yeah. I love it. It totally makes sense. So if someone wanted to see what their their um, human design graph look like, how, how would they be able to look that up? So there's a bunch of different free systems online to do so. My favorite is mybodygraph.com. Um, I'm not affiliated with them in any way or sponsored. Um, it's just a really great free tool. And right. um, when you click on mybodygraph.com, it'll run your chart. And then it tells you your chart properties um, in like a side window. And so that's the part that I found to be super um, 
helpful because you can go and look up every single one of those chart properties and mm -hmm. read it all together. There's also, through my body graph, you can also pay for different levels of analysis of your chart. I had done that with a different system and I found it very jargony and very technical. Um, mm -hmm. But if you do choose to hack your own chart, and this is actually something I'm building um, within my own website as well, as I found that a lot of the information, just in terms of finding out, okay, well, if I have the channel of struggle, what does that mean? Or if I have the channel of concentration, what is that? Um, when you Google it, again, sometimes you have to get to like the fifth or sixth page of Google to get any sort of like clear, co concise, you know, coherent mm -hmm. way of explaining it. So right. I'm putting together a database of resources so that people, when they hack their chart, they can go in and in one place pull up, okay, here's the channel of struggle. And in like plain, practical, accessible terms, what does that mean for me? Like, why is that in my chart? And what does that bring to my energy makeup? Yeah. Um, but at least my body graph has the listing of what all of those things are. Some of the other systems will list some of the information and not all of it, but the information you should look for um, is basically your type, your centers, your strategy, your authority, your gates, your channels, your incarnation cross and your profile. Like those are kind of the biggest facets of the chart that really walk you through kind of your best way to use your energy, what your gifts are, what your lessons are, your dharma and your karma in this lifetime. Okay. And I totally see the benefit of working with someone like yourself, because like you said, there's a lot of information out there that's maybe inaccurate or hard to interpret. Mm -hmm. And when do you think that the database is going to be complete? Is that something that you're working on for the end of the year? Well, for right now, so basically um, through my blog, I've been trying to explore like the big pieces. So for mm -hmm. right now you could literally log on to interiorcreature.com and there's a tab that says new to human design and you can look up your type, your strategy, your authority, um, your channel or not your channels, pardon me, your centers. Um, and um, we started looking at the planets and how, and the lines of the profile. So we're kind of gradually working through some of the parts of the chart. The challenge is there's 64 gates, there's 36 channels, like there's a lot of stuff within there. Yeah. So it's going to take a while to kind of break it all down. Um, so the database that I put together right now, we've got about the same amount of information up there and okay. there's PDFs, there's downloadables, there's um, a podcast that I'm launching as well um, that kind of will walk you through. So some people learn best through reading, some people learn best through hearing. So some people mm -hmm. really enjoy video content. So I'm trying to kind of hit all the different modalities to explain the different aspects of the chart just in the clearest possible terms. So my goal is hopefully, you know, by the end of the year to have a database where people can literally go in and say, oh, perfect, I ran my mom's chart, for example, and my mom is a manifesting generator. What does right. that mean? And I can like, look up all the aspects of her chart and be able to pull up, oh, she has this gator, she has this profile, and be able to kind of hack that and then you know, hopefully gain some insight into my relationship with my mother or, you know, or the guy that I'm dating or you know, a, a new friend that I met or a colleague I'm not getting along with. So you can kind of use that as a lens to you know, kind of influence different relationships in your life. Okay. So let's go through a little bit of the definitions of what all these words mean. Like oh, yeah. It's and, a lot. <laughs> and, and centers. I mean, yep. just like... I'll walk you through. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So when you um, pull up your body graph, um, mm -hmm. there's going to be, it looks like the outline of a person with a bunch of different shapes all on the okay. inside of you. And so I sent you actually, before we started talking, um, a Dropbox folder that has your body graph in it with all the information about your specific chart. And so within... Um, all those different shapes that are in our body, um, those are called centers. And so some of the centers within your, um, your specific energy are going to be colored in. Those are called closed centers. They're defined. They're the centers that we have like the most consistent fixed access to that energy. So they're kind of like the way that we operate in the world. that's pretty much fixed in who we are. Okay. Um, there's also shapes that are open. 
um, and they're completely blank on your chart. And those are, those are open or undefined centers. And that's where we take in influence and conditioning and programming from other people. And some of those messages that we receive through those centers um, really shape who we are in really strong, fantastic ways. And sometimes it can definitely be like negative influence or, um, you know, programming that we receive that are basically like the cultural zeitgeist in terms of like where we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to behave or how we're supposed to, you know, interact that may not necessarily be in balance or in alignment with how we're supposed to use our energy. And so those nine centers roughly correlate to your seven chakras. Um, okay. According to the guy who channeled the system, um, we've evolved past seven chakras into, into nine, basically. Um, so there's a rough equivalent between, obviously, like, the, you know, your, your crown chakra is your head center, your mind or your third eye is your, or your on your, your mindset center. So there's a definite, like, correlation between them. Okay. So the way your centers are laid out, like, which ones you have defined versus which ones you have open, determine your type. Okay. And so there's, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm so, cutting off. Yeah, so the type, okay, I'm looking at the graph right now. Yep. The, it's interesting because the top half is open, right? Mm-hmm. So those are all white. And then the mm-hmm. bottom half, with the exception of the of right two. side, yep. yeah, is, is closed. So yep. those are the channels, right? Those are the centers. The centers. Yep. Got it. Okay. And so um, basically, like, there's different ways that the centers can combine in terms of how, how many are open or how many are closed um, and where they're open and where they're closed that determine what type you are. So you're something called an energy projector. And the, what makes you an energy projector is the fact that your sacral center, it's the second one up from the bottom. So you see how you have the square that's at the very bottom of your body graph. That's the root center. The mm-hmm. one right above it is your sacral center and that one is open. So all projectors have that in common. Their sacral center is undefined. And so there's four centers in our body. Each center has a different um, function, basically. And some are energy. Some give us energy. They're motor centers. They provide us energy and fuel for basically getting through our day-to-day. But mm-hmm. also just kind of that, you know, they each have a different um, aspect of their energy that they govern. And so what makes you an energy projector is all projectors have their sacral open. But you actually have two other energy centers closed in your chart. You have your heart will center closed, which is that red triangle to the upper right of your sacral. Uh And you have your root center defined, which is that square right below your sacral. And both of those are centers that give you a tremendous amount of energy. So um, your heart and will center, not as much necessarily as the sacral, but they still give you energy to kind of enter into promises and commitments through your heart center and to navigate pressure and stress through your root center. So the challenge with being an energy projector is every um, type in human design has a specific strategy and a specific, mm-hmm. um, so that's basically what the way they're supposed to enter into promises and commitments and make decisions. Um, and there's a specific bodily authority they're supposed to listen to. And so um, being a projector, so let me actually back up a little bit more. So okay. there are five different types that you could possibly be depending on how your centers are configured. So there's manifestors. And manifestors are people, they're here to initiate. They're here to have the big ideas and to start just like immediately acting on them. They don't need anybody else or any permission. They just go and kind of act on these big ideas. Um, Then there are generators and manifesting generators. And I'm a generator. That's my type. We're here to respond. We're here to um, either um, answer questions, address needs, or fill voids. So sometimes that can look like us actually like carrying out the big idea that the manifestor initiated or responding to that in some way. So our strategy for walking the world through the world is to, you know, respond to things. Projectors are really good at seeing how best to kind of guide people's energy in terms of how they use it. 
so that they have like the best result possible. And so you as a projector, your strategy is to be recognized and then invited. Because I think we've all experienced, if you walk into a room and people haven't asked for your opinion and you just start walking around and telling people everything that's wrong with what they're doing, it's like not going to be, <laughs> clearly it's not going to be you know, accepted or, you know, it's not going to be thought well of, right? Right. And so because projectors have such amazing insight in terms of how to like solve problems or how to like best have energy used, uh, they need to be recognized by their tribe first um, for their expertise, for the thing that they're really talented at, and then invited to share and contribute. And that's the way they, they kind of, have the most grace and ease and flow within their life. Um, and then the final type is a reflector and reflectors charts are completely blank. I'm actually reading for a reflector later today and um, her chart is completely blank. She may have some gates activated, which are those little numbers that are um, highlighted that like, it looks like half of that little. So yeah, that I'm trying, it's so hard because it's such a visual thing. Um, so between every one of our shapes in our graph, there are little channels. It's almost like a hallway uh, between two, the both of the centers. And sometimes one of those doors, the hallway is open. And that's when there's a little number in our chart and it's circled and you see half of the little hallway colored in. If the okay. entire hallway is colored in, that's a channel, that's completed. But if it's only half of it, it's a gate. And so basically we call people into our lives who complete those channels with us. And it kind of amplifies our energy in different ways. Yeah, I mean, the human design is really based on this idea of not that we're all incomplete by ourselves. Like we're definitely complete autonomous beings, but it's also got that idea of like, it takes a village. Like we each have different gifts and uh, lessons and talents to contribute to the tribe. And so sometimes parts of ourselves are amplified or um, switched on, if you will, by interacting with other people. And okay. so, yeah, so we have certain things that we carry within ourselves that are gifts or lessons and some that are just like amplified by being around um, specific people who happen to have that, the other half of that gate. So reflectors have their charts completely open. They may have some gates activated, but literally like they have, they're just taking in conditioning and influence and programming from people all the time. So how they feel is really directly correlated to who's around and the energy they're kind of bringing to that scenario and that situation. That's so interesting. Okay. So energy projector. Yeah. So is you. I'm kind of like when you said waiting for, the invitation. So mm -hmm. I totally see that in my life. Like sometimes I like want to do things, mm -hmm. but I'm also like, I have to talk about doing them with other people first mm -hmm. to get their opinion or like bounce ideas or collaborate to be like, does this sound good to you? Mm -hmm. And if people are like, yeah, that sounds really good. Or I'm not sure about that. Then it like allows me to think about it a little bit more. Is that yeah, it's, it's more the collaboration aspect. So think of mm -hmm. it this way. If you decided tomorrow, like when you launched your business, I'm sure that you worked, you had worked and studied with other people first. Like you didn't decide by yourself in your kitchen, this is a thing that I'm into, but never shared that interest with anyone. Like right. you had people that you worked with or studied with or, you know, are friends with that are interested in the same thing. So you have a community of people that are all like-minded that are kind of working in that same way. And so as you decide to take action toward the next thing, um, a lot of times we're up-leveled, well, you as a projector are up-leveled by people who um, recognize your talent and invite you to contribute. So it could be a matter of someone saying, hey, I would love to have you on my podcast. Or someone saying, oh my goodness, like we've been in a yoga class together. Have you talked to so-and-so because she does this and I think she'd be a great mentor for you. So it's a more of like for having those people who kind of network you and connect mm. you to the right people that take you to that next step in your, in your path. Okay. Um, 
And so it's a lot of times because manifestors are the people who kind of can just take action and by, do stuff by themselves. But half the time they almost like fall off, right? Like they start taking action, they go gung-ho towards something. And then they realize partway through, oh, this isn't exactly what I wanted or, oh, I don't have the energy to do this that I thought I did. And it drops off. But a lot of times for projectors, because you guys can give your, a lot of times it's, it's built for a bit of a longer term type of connection. It's got to mm-hmm. go through your authority. And I for see. you, you've got that strategy of, you know, rec- getting recognized, um, waiting for that invitation. And so the thing that you do to give yourself agency, because it's for those like moderate to major things that you need to be recognized and invited, mm-hmm. um, the minor aspects of your life, you don't have to, like, you just kind of go with what feels good. So, um, like you don't need to get like, you know, invited into what type of salad you're having for lunch or like invited <laughs> into like buying a new pair of shoes. Like some people get very granular with it. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's like the moderate to major things. But what you do during that time to like get ready for those invitations is it's called the magic in between. And you basically focus on what lights you up and what turns you on and what makes you really excited and gives you joy. And for you, those questions are a little bit different because with the sacral center being undefined, like mine's defined. So I can literally feel like what lights me up? What do I feel drawn toward or compelled toward? And for you, you have your self center and your heart center defined. And for those questions for you are more, is this within my integrity? Is this something that mm-hmm. feels in alignment with who I am? And is this something that my heart desires? Got and it. so those kind of questions are going to guide you toward, okay, well, what is that thing I want to give my energy to? And for you, it's like your, your root and your um, heart are going to be supplying you with some of that energy. Um, the challenge is, though, the root and the heart want to act. Like, they just want to do. And you know, again, knowing as a projector, you kind of need a way to be recognized and invited for things to be the most successful. And so the challenge with being an energy projector is navigating and making sure you're not saying yes to something that isn't truly what you want to do just to kind of relieve some of that pressure or initiating before you've actually like been recognized and invited, because those are two things that are recipes for kind of bitterness and, and, and failure. And that's, that's the other kind of aspect to human design is there's something called the not self theme which again, some of this terminology is not my favorite, but basically (laughs) the way that you feel when you haven't lived your design, you haven't followed your strategy or listened to your authority and things aren't going your way. And so mine is frustration. Like I get really, really frustrated when I have to give my energy to something that isn't within my integrity that doesn't light me up. And for you, projectors can get super bitter when they're like, I'm doing everything right. I'm, you know, I've worked really hard and I'm putting myself out there and why is no one seeing me? Right. And that bitterness comes from the fact that they probably didn't wait to be recognized and invited. And if they had just waited that extra beat to have someone recognize and invite them to contribute, then everything would have gone so much smoother and they would have had that like that success that they were looking for. So that bitterness is the easiest way to tell that you're acting either committing yourself to something outside of your integrity or that you didn't actually wait to be recognized and invited. Okay. If I'm not invited Mm -hmm. to you know, act on something mm-hmm. and I act on it anyway, like what is the feeling or, you know, how do I kind of recognize that, okay, I've acted on something and maybe this was the wrong decision. I mean, it's, it's bitterness. Cause it's probably not going to be, um, it's going to feel frustrating. It's going to be bitter. It's going to be like, why aren't, why aren't I being recognized for that thing? Why aren't I being, you know, I did everything quote unquote correct. And it's correct. According to society's like, you know, stipulations, you hustle, you grind, you put yourself out there. Like for me, for example, um, when I started uh, Interior Creature, 
um, Facebook is creepy and just knew I had launched my own business. And so, um, <laughs> all it's just, it is, it's algorithms are really, really disturbing, it but, really um, is. Yeah. but I started getting all of these ads for like webinars for entrepreneurs that were like spiritually minded and they have very specific formulas for like how many times you're supposed to post on Instagram a day or how many times you're supposed to like promote yourself or like there it's weird. Cause I'll get emails from people and I can tell what programs that they've studied. Cause it's very cookie cutter in terms of like how they stagger their fonts or their like lines or how they've chunked their paragraphs. Uh-huh. And it's like, it just doesn't resonate with me. And so if you, for example, if you took one of those, you know, webinars, for example, and you decide you want to market your business in that way, a lot of that's very yang. It's very aggressive. It's very kind of has this like masculine energy to it. You might not see the return that you would if you waited to kind of grow your business organically based on the people that you know and the people and communities you already work with and leveraging the connections that you have. Because a lot of things, projectors are not typically built for strangers. They're not meant to be the big kind of macro influencers like Kylie Jenner and, you know, Mm -hmm. some of the people out there that just kind of like, you know, they show you what lip gloss they're wearing and everyone goes and launches to buy it. Like Like projectors typically, like it's through their networks of people that they get the best kind of, um, you know, they're introduced to the right people right. to kind of, you know, get their, their business going. So you might be doing all the quote unquote right things that you read from that webinar or took in that cult course. Like, oh, you're, you know, you're posting this number of times a day or using this languaging yeah. and it's just not working for you. It's probably because it wasn't something that was really, you weren't, the recognition and invitation wasn't there and yeah. you probably have better success doing something different. I, I agree because when I was trying to figure out the next step in, you know, my career, the only thing that I knew how to do was have conversations with people. Like I was Mm -hmm. just getting a cup of coffee, getting a drink, um, meeting up with old friends that I hadn't seen in years. And I was just like, look, this is what my strengths are. This is what I feel like I want to do. What are you doing? Or where did you travel? Or this is kind of what I feel is in alignment with me. And that is, I think, the best way that I was able to cut out what I didn't want to do and really focus on what I mm-hmm. felt I needed to do. So, yeah, and I I don't think I would ever want to just, like, put myself in front of, you know, a crowd of people of a thousand strangers and be like, okay, I want you to buy this service now. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would want them to experience my conversation or be referred to me or kind of maybe see a photo of the work that I'm doing and say like, Hey, I want to read a little bit more about what she does. So yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And it's one of those things where like in five years from now and seven years from now, you might find yourself in front of that room full of a thousand strangers, but you've been like, your work has been seen and recognized and you've been invited to contribute. And that group of people is going to be so much more open to having you there. As opposed to like when Oprah has a guest on her show, everyone kind of leans in and go, who is this person? You know, because we've we've kind of built that understanding and that trust. So we know if Oprah's pointing us in that specific direction, that person's probably like, you know, someone we should pay attention to. They're legit. And so like, that's kind of the way projectors again, kind of up level is they basically rely on those, that network of people that they've, they've worked with. Um, referrals will be really great for you. Um, and just that one-on-one kind of personal connection, because people have to recognize your expertise and your kind of your, um, authority, if you will, before you kind of can take that next step with them. Um, and they invite you to kind of be their healer or be their, their guide in this work. Um, and for you, the authority you're going to use to kind of get you there is splenic authority. And so the spleen 
is one of our oldest awareness centers in our body. So it's not an energy center like our heart or like our sacral or like our solar plexus or our root. Um, it's just basically, its whole job is just perception. Mm-hmm. And, and also within our body, it's connected to our immune system. And so within our body in terms of just like that immune response, it's the T cells, it's the white blood cells, it's all that good stuff that's going off and like fighting disease and recognizing, is this an invader or is this something that's going to help my body? And so it evolved back before we were nine centered beings, back when we were like two or three centered beings, when we were, you know, fish with legs climbing out, climbing out of like the primordial muck and like breathing air for the first time. Um, we needed something in our body that was going to tell us, oh crap, that's a predator. That thing's going to eat me or, oh good, that's my food. And so that was basically kind of the initial job of the spleen was keeping us alive. And think about how much disease and, um, you know, fear and how much like li- our lives were in peril, you know, back in that this kind of the stone age versus even like the medieval period versus the Renaissance versus where we are now. Like we've kind of gotten to the point where we're not hopefully knock on wood. Our life is not in imminent danger every day. And even cool. the amount of like disease and, and viruses and um, contaminants and toxins that we're exposed to. Yeah. I mean, we can have that conversation about like, where the way the industrial revolution and manufacturing has brought us, but it's, it's much different than when we were like living in plague ridden Europe or, you know, um, worried about like malaria or, you know, the Spanish flu or any of those things. So our body is kind of now at the point where it's not constantly worried about like death and, you know, destruction at that same level. So the spleen got a little bored. It's almost like we've got like old software in our computer system, right? So it's still communicating to us with that same urgency of like, oh my God, that thing's going to kill me. But this time it's coming up when you've got like a fight with a colleague or, you know, your tension with your partner or things like that. So it's like kind of an immediate fight or flight response that's going to only communicate to you in the moment and then it's gone about like, yes, this thing is meant for you or no, this thing is dangerous. And so a lot of times, so that's literally your body's way of talking to you to help guide you toward like making the correct decision in a moment. So like you might sit down with a client and all of a sudden have this like six year stomach feeling and mm. you don't know why. And there's not really a logic or a rational kind of patterning to it. It just feels wrong. And like, that's your body's way of telling you, Hey, like, this is not good for you. Abort, like move. Mm. Like maybe, maybe this is not a client you take on and you yep. can go think through it later And like, maybe there's some rational reasons why your body gave you that kind of immediate in the moment, you know, messaging, but human design is really big on like, we listen to, we basically like our intuition happens from the neck down. And a lot of times we've been thought like taught as children to like think through our decisions, be rational, be practical, you know, be logical. And whereas a lot of times if we think about it, especially meditation teachers, we have millions of thoughts a day and some of them are helpful and some of them are harmful. And like, you know, within our meditation practice, we're supposed to sit in the seat of consciousness and kind of let the thoughts flow by and be the witness to our thoughts and not the participant of our thoughts. Human design is very much the same where it's like, okay, so for you specifically, we're going to keep our our mind out of the equation. I'm just going to listen to my spleen. So this is my life now. I tell people to listen to their spleen, (laughs) which is such a weird, like six months ago, I never would have had that conversation with someone. But so it's basically tapping into your body level knowing of, yes, this is right for me. And no, it's not. And it's going to, your body's going to use to you the language of nervousness and fear and stress to kind of communicate that. Mm-hmm. So it's really a true thing then to like, listen to your gut, right? Cause yep. I feel like I do get that feeling when I'm in maybe an uncomfortable situation or there's mm-hmm. someone that I'm talking to that feels a little like icky yep. or, you know, any number of situations, like you kind of have 
this mm-hmm. body sensation that comes from my center. So yeah, yeah that's good to know. And that's going to be your kind of your, it's almost like your internal GPS in terms of like, yeah, this isn't, this is correct. No, this isn't. And a lot of times it's funny. You might even find yourself like, so sometimes it'll just be a deep knowing. And sometimes it'll be that icky feeling. The challenge is when it's a, it's something that's exciting and new, but there's that element of the unknown where Mm -hmm. you'll kind of get that same like nervous butterflies almost. And it's like, that's hard to navigate sometimes. That's the hard part of the splenic response. Cause in the moment you have to decide Am I nervous because I'm excited and I don't know what's coming next? Or is it nervous because it's not meant for me? So because the spleen's an awareness center, we want to give it as much information as possible because its impulse is going to change depending on what it knows. So like you could sit down with that client and have that stick to your stomach feeling and like decide it's time to abort. And then later on you find out the why and you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Or you could be on a date with somebody and everything is great and you're getting all these great like, you know, positive, like nervous energy feelings. And then he drops a bombshell that he's a serial killer. And all of a sudden your spleen's like, get out, <laughs> abort, run. Like, like, I mean, that probably wouldn't happen, but you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. the spleen can only react to what it knows. So no. we can't get mad at it for having those like, you know, happy, attracted butterfly feelings, you know, initially because it was like, it didn't know this guy was a mass murderer. Like yeah. once we introduced that information, all of a sudden our <laughs> spleen gave us the correct of like, get the hell out of there. Yeah. So, it's like, please don't kill me. <laughs> yeah. The spleen is not psychic. I have to, it's again, a weird thing I have to say to people all the time. Your spleen's not psychic. It can only kind of react to the information that you feed it. And what, what authority are you? I have sacral authority as a generator. Okay. So basically I feel either expanded towards something or contracted away from it. And so, um, it's almost like the way little babies respond. Like, you know how, like when you give a baby a cookie or a toy or something they want, their entire body just expands and they coo and their eyes get wide and they giggle. It's that uh-huh. like kind of, uh-huh, like, ooh, feeling. Um, and some people, if they have their throat defined, it can even be a verbal, like, ooh, yay. Um, and if I get, if you give me something that I'm not excited by it, like my entire body contracts, like I feel like, you know, little babies, their entire like face scrunches up, they cry, they get that like, ugh, kind of yeah. And that's literally like where I'll kind of feel like completely contracted away from something or I'll feel like almost something internal pulling me toward it. Um, But I have to be very cognizant of, you know, giving my body that, you know, permission to have that experience in the moment and then listen to it. Like I had gotten so far away from even listening to my body that it actually took a really devastating sacral response to like let me know that I couldn't do my job anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I woke up one morning in February and mm-hmm. I was sobbing. Like, my entire body was Aww. shaking. I just, like, it was one of those, like, ugly cries with, like, the snot bubbles and you can't catch your yeah. breath. And you're, like, dig to do your knees. Like, I, that was when I kind of, my body just had to get me that uncomfortable. Because I'm the type of person, well, I'll just keep pushing through. And right. it, my body was like, no, we're done. <laughs> like, you're, <laughs> this is what I'm, I'm telling you very clearly. Like, in the clearest possible terms, you need to quit. Oh. Um, and that's what it took to get me to, to, but normally the sacral is not that intense. Like it's only when we stop listening to ourselves that it feels the need to get us that uncomfortable. And okay. So what can someone do once they have a reading with you and they're like, okay, I know what my center is, what my type, my authority mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. what's the best way of moving forward to now say, okay, how do I apply all this knowledge now and try to like incorporate it into how I'm being mm-hmm. and how I'm showing up? I mean, I would just experiment with it. And that's one of the things that, that Rao who says in the, in the introduction to his text on this is like, human design is meant to be a big experiment. And mm. if it works, great. And if it doesn't, like it doesn't land with you, that's fine too. Um, but what I would do is I would literally go through every one of your centers 
And I'll tell you kind of in my readings what they mean generally, but it's up to you to kind of take a step back and see how that's played itself out in your life. So for me, I think it's a great, like what I ended up doing was a lot of journaling where I sat down and I looked at like, say I have an open head center and so do you. And so mm-hmm. folks with an open head center, we can get really inspired by the world around us. And um, sometimes we'll even follow things down rabbit holes that are actually not meant for us. Mm-hmm. Whereas like for, I, for me, it's like, I'll listen to a podcast and someone will talk about something I find really fascinating. And then I won't even think about it. I'll go buy the book. And then I get the book and I'm like, oh, I'm not as excited about that anymore it was that person's energy that I was attracted to, not necessarily this topic. And so for me, like kind of seeing how that pattern played out and like, I look around my office right now at my bookshelves and I'm like, yeah, there's probably about 30% of the books here were probably purchases based on the person's energy and not necessarily the topic. Cause I haven't read them yet. Yeah. So it's just kind of seeing how that has played itself out in your own life. And then kind of just that awareness sometimes gives you the tools to kind of like right now I have a three day waiting period on my Amazon cart. Like I don't do the gut, I don't do the spontaneous purchase anymore. I wait and say, okay, am I really into say foam rolling? Or it was just, was it just that Lauren Roxburgh was such a great magnetic guest on that podcast that like, she got me excited about it. And like, it wasn't actually the thing. Cause like, if I think about it, I'm not into exercise. Like I'm like probably the least, like, I'm so like not athletic. Like it's probably not something I'm actually going to do. Is foam rolling like where you do like, push-ups on a foam roll or is it I don't 100% know it's okay with like rubbing out your your muscles so that like I I don't 100% understand it but I um I remember listening to several podcasts where she was interviewed and her energy is so infectious and she speaks about it with such clarity (laughs) that I remember I actually bought her foam roller and her book and then I arrived and I was like wait I'm never going to do this. Like, why do I own these things? But like, it, and it's not a knock on her. It was like, she's so energetic and so like mag- magnetic. Cause she's, this is something clearly mm. lights her up that makes her really happy. Yeah. And that's what comes across. So I'm like the ideal consumer for like people who are really passionate about their products. Um, I just know for myself, like I need to take a step back and say, yeah. no, that thing is actually not meant for me. Um, right. But like, thank you for your energy because it got me really inspired and excited. Yeah. Um, so I would go through each one of my centers and kind of do that work. How is it playing out in my life? Some are really easy, like the head center. The emotional solar plexus is the hardest one. Um, that's where you and I are both open there as well. And so you and I basically, through having our solar plexus open, um, we are not meant to have like those crazy high highs and low lows to our emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're alone, when we're kind of really in our element by ourselves, like in our authenticity, um, we are pretty much calm, cool, and collected, like 90% of the time. It's only when we're around other people and they're in their emotional wave that we're, we're like truly the empaths of the world. Like if you and I were to sit with somebody who just lost a parent or was grieving in that way, part of us would grieve too. Like we would be taking on their energy and like feeling obviously not to the extent, like I don't want to minimize anyone's loss, but we're we're really taking on their energy and feeling it in our bodies in some way. Um, And so part of the challenge of having that center open is when you're around people or in the high of their emotional wave or the low of their emotional wave, we want to make sure that we don't give their stress or their feeling ownership and real estate in our bodies. Right. Right. Cause we know what we carry with us. That's like damaging and traumatic, like mm-hmm. can make us sick. And yeah. so our big kind of challenge is being so empathetic is it's bad enough with our own traumas and our own, you know, programming that we've taken on, like that we're carrying with us that we need to unload, we shouldn't be taking on other people's as well. So that's part of a big lesson to that emotional solar plexus is how we deal with emotions and how we, you know, experience things like sadness and regret 
and um, jealousy and all of those different things. Um, and kind of recognizing when it actually is someone else's stuff that you're carrying around and whether when it's your own. And that can be a really like tough center to kind of unpack. Um, but it can teach us a ton when we're really like open and vulnerable with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I know from a lot of the friendships and relationships that I've had in the past, even when I was a kid, people would just tell me things or they would come with me with like, what was going on with them. And I always wondered why like that was. So it Mm -hmm. makes sense for you to explain the openness in that way, because I Mm -hmm. always felt like, you know, that was a a truth for me. But then at the same time, I had to learn not to take on that energy or not to always like feel their pain or even feel their joy. Because, you know, as an energetic being, I was just like, I it was too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're meant to have reciprocal relationships with people. We're not supposed to be the only one who's poor. Like, you know that phrase, you can't pour from an empty cup. We're supposed yeah. to be pouring into other people's cups as they're pouring into ours. Like, it's all meant to kind of be symbiotic and mutually beneficial. If you're in a relationship with someone, whether it's a friendship or a romantic party relationship or a family relationship where you feel like all you're doing is receiving their emotional energy and they're not taking back any in return like a lot of times they're coming to you because they know you're going to absorb some of that pressure from their body. Mm. Like you're going to take on some of that energy. It's like a release almost to, to give it to you. Right. But if they're not going to do that for you in return, um, like I, there was a girl I was friends with in college who um, I set her up with one of her first boyfriends and um, they had a very, like they were together for about a year and then they ended up breaking up when she decided to go to a different school. And um, she would call me all the time and all she wanted to talk about was this guy and I remember I had just received the diagnosis of my father um, having cancer. And luckily, it was a tumor. It was quick. They took it out. But I didn't mm. know at that point. And the day that she called me, um, I had just gotten that news. And I answered the phone sobbing. And I was like, I just need to talk to you for a minute. And she goes, first, though, let me tell you about Mike. And went on for like 25 minutes about this guy. And oh, I realized <laughs> I was never going to have a, like, and I'm audibly sobbing on the other end of the phone. And I realized this is someone who doesn't realize, like, and I, I would put money on the fact that she has her solar plexus closed and she needed so much to kind of feel her feelings and be in her wave and release. But she didn't have that awareness to realize that like, it was not the appropriate time. And so maybe you have to spread that out around, around among other people. And maybe you should be by yourself if you're in part of your wave. And so anyway, I had to kind of cut that friendship off because I realized it was never going to be mutual. Like there was never going to be a, I was never going to get to poor. Like, it was right. Only, and so, um, yeah. yeah, so we have to kind of be, and that's part of the lesson through that solar plexus is just who is right for me, who isn't, who's dealing with their emotions in a healthy way. And then we have to worry about mm-hmm. ours in a healthy way as well. Like, are we absorbing other people's um, emotions? Are we magnifying them? 90% of reality TV is people with an open emotional solar plexus who have a really unhealthy relationship with it. Like if you watch like the real housewives and one housewife says to one, like, that's a nice dress. And they say it in kind of like a a slightly bitchy way. And then the other (laughs) one flips the table over. Like they've got a, they've got the magnified open emotional solar plexus where they take that one tiny thing and it becomes like, you know, a cataclysmic nuclear event. Um, And so it's, that's another kind of way to kind of hold ourselves accountable and navigate our own energy. So I think the centers give us a ton to unpack. And then like we can try Once we kind of understand the way our body works with the centers, trying out your strategy, starting to kind of tune back into your authority and give it some credence and see what happens. Um, yeah. 
And then it's fun later when people kind of come to me for a reading. I don't stop there. And there's a ton we can do just with the setters and type and authority. But I walk people through their gates and channels. I walk them through their profile and their incarnation cross, which tells them about their karma and their dharma here on this earth. So that's always really fun, too, especially when a lot of my clients will come to me and they're like in the middle of a career change or they're just Mm -hmm. feeling something is out of alignment Mm -hmm. in their life. And sometimes it's nice to sit down and say, "Okay, well, according to human design, here's what you're on this earth to do. Is this in alignment with what you're doing right now? And it's interesting to kind of have those conversations and start unpacking. Mm. So let me ask that question then. Like, uh, what is my... I guess, I don't want to say purpose, but yeah. is working in uh, wellness and wanting to be a healer, is that in alignment with yes, my 100%. human design? Oh also. my God, You're, you have the right angle cross of service. So I almost yeah. laughed when I saw that because it's, it's, this is one of those beautiful miracles that just human design has that alignment. You're basically, your life purpose, according to human design, is you were put on this planet for the betterment of society. And so <sighs> you have this like very... So you basically have, we'll talk about your profile in a minute, but there's a, a way that your, your mind kind of works is that you're able to kind of take a look at situations and you get a sense in a very logical way because you're not, you don't have that emotional wave that you need to kind of like rely on. You have this logical assessment of kind of being able to see where are there are patterns that are not working and where you can kind of improve. And so the challenge though is that you want to make sure that and obviously for you, I'm not concerned about this because you don't strike me as this person. It can't come from a place of ego. It has to come from a place of service. And yeah. so it's going in and trying to like figure out what's working and what isn't working. Because if we only focus on what's not working, people get really alienated and they don't want to come to you. But it's a matter of like looking at the body as a whole or looking at the life as a whole and balancing out what's an asset, what's something someone's doing really right, what's you know working for them. But then also after kind of like honoring that, going in and saying, okay, well then this is the thing that isn't working or this is how you're standing in your own way or these are the problems that need to be addressed. Um, And you're going to have to use your spleen to kind of guide you in how to deliver that news to people because not everyone's ready to hear it. Mm -hmm. So it's all about basically like being a service to the other and helping people navigate exactly how to kind of get where they want to go from point A to part B. And so it's not about perfection. And that's the other thing that's going to be kind of your cross to bear is like because you have this gift of being able to see like, what can be fixed and what can be improved. Um, you can't, we're never going to get to perfect, right? There's, it's only a matter of growth and expansion. And so if you allow yourself to be focused on it's not perfect enough yet, or it's not exactly the way I want it to be, you're going to be chronically dissatisfied. So it's basically like the being able to go in and have that level headedness, that stillness. And for you, it's so funny. You told me that you took some time and like meditated before you decided on this being your path. Because there is a big part of your, your, that cross of service for you, which has to do with stillness. And you're able to kind of be the calm in the storm. And you're able to be still and kind of give your concentration to something and pick apart, like, what's going to work and what isn't before you jump in. And mm-hmm. before you kind of, like, give your, your, um, your assessment of what needs to happen. Um, and then w- because if you held space for that stillness, that, like, sureness, you're going to be that much more effective. And what's funny is you and I have the same channel. In our charts, you and I both had the channel of struggle, um, and it le- links our spleen to our root center. And so you and I both have this thing where we, we can't be giving our energy to something outside of our integrity. It, dis- it doesn't work for us. Mm-hmm. And if we try to do that, our body's going to give us very clear signals like you're not in the right place, you're not doing the right thing. And so we're here to have a job or a, a calling that gives us purpose, that gives us meaning. 
it basically like, is this thing worth fighting for? And if the answer is yes, then like, yeah, that's what we're supposed to be doing. So there's more to life for us than just existing. And our stress will build up in our body when we're giving our energy to something that's not in alignment with that. So that's yeah. what made me giggle when I saw, so basically when I was <laughs> reading your chart and looking through it, I'm like, that totally makes sense that she would have, that she would be someone who kind of changed her life path in that way. Because that often happens with people with this channel of struggle where we find ourselves in positions or jobs where we're like, this is actually not, I'm not being, I'm not doing what I could be doing on this planet. Like Sunday, and we don't exactly, even if we don't know exactly what that thing is, that is an alignment, we know what we're doing is not. Yeah. And so our, our life is kind of this search for purpose. And for you, it might be a little bit more steady because you have a self-center that's defined in your chart. So once you find it, it may not vary too much. You're always going to have a very deep connection to what your purpose is and who you are and what you value. And so like, once you kind of find that thing, it might click in and that's kind of, is it for you? Whereas my self-center is open. So it may not always be human design. Maybe that's exactly what it looks like right now, but that might not be what my path looks like in five years and 10 years and 15 years. So I have to be kind of open to where life pulls me and takes me in that way. But when another thing that's really fascinating about your profile is you and I, another thing we have common was we both have a really strong third line in our profile. Yours is in your conscious part of your design and mine's in my unconscious part of my design. You have a profile that's called a three, six, and that's an opportunist role model. And so, or pardon me, not an opportunist role model, a model role model, martyr role model. I have to okay. change that. I just realized I found a typo. I'll fix that. Um, so the, <laughs> the, the, um, basically the third line in your chart, um, the first 30 years of your life, anybody who's got a third line or a six line in their chart, lives their life in kind of these three distinct phases. And so your first 30-ish years of your life are all about trial and error. It's all about trying things on, seeing if they fit, seeing what feels good to you, what doesn't. And um, this martyr energy is one of like making big mistakes, like trying, making, basically throwing yourself headfirst into whatever it is you're passionate about. And then like finding out the hard way if it's not meant for us. Like we're the type of people that kind of have to run into the fire and get burned so bad that we never do it again. Um, and that's really your first 30 years of your life is really characterized by that energy of like making mistakes, getting up, like, like wiping the blood off your knees, putting a bandaid on and trying again. And so everything calms down a bit during your 30 to 50, um, part of your life. And so that's when you're kind of like, I'm done with all this trial and error crap. It's a lot. And so mm-hmm. I need to take some time and lick my wounds and kind of heal. And yeah. so that's when the role model part of your chart kicks in. So the role model basically is where you, you kind of, it's almost like getting a rooftop view. And that's why I always think about, I used to love rooftop parties in Brooklyn when I lived in New York city. Cause uh, you kind they're of, the best. Like, they're so great. Cause you can yeah. get a bird's eye view of the city. So like when you're down on the streets and like a cab's like starts honking, then you turn your head, you might not realize what it is, like, why is that guy honking? Is he just being obnoxious? But if you were up on the roof, you could see someone ran out from behind a parked car. And, like, the cab was actually trying to warn them that they were there. And so, like, we get that perspective that we may not have had at street-level view when we are in that martyr phase. Mm-hmm. We're really, like, throwing ourselves into big mistakes and learning all these lessons that now that we're up on the rooftop, we have that bird's-eye perspective where we can really get a sense of how things work and why we had the experiences that we did. So there's this beautiful 20-ish year period of like reflection and introspection where we kind of retreat from that trial and error craziness and start thinking about, okay, well, why did I have those experiences? What did I learn? And then when we hit our Chiron return at 50, um, your part of your chart is basically you kind of get to come back down off the roof and start having a little bit more of that trial and error and re-engagement with life. But it comes from a place of such lived experience and such wisdom that it's not this reckless kind of abandon 
that yeah. we are our, our, our 30s with. Oh so my gosh. You're it's... here kind of to be a wise woman, if, if you will. Like once okay. you kind of hit that phase and it's going to start from 30 to 50 and then just get like amplified from 50 on where people are going to look to you because you've had this lived experience. You have this like understanding of what it is to be down in the muck, to make the big mistakes, to kind of have these trial and error that you're able to kind of guide people from a place of like in your body wisdom during that like kind of like second and third phase of your life. That is so crazy that you're saying this right now because I'm 30 years old. Mm -hmm. All of this change is going on in the last like few weeks. You had your Saturn return. Yeah, I had. Yeah, that was crazy. It was like the final run into the fire and get burned. And like, this is your final lesson of like not living your path and like Mm -hmm. what your purpose is. Yep. And I've had so many different trial and errors when it comes to career Yep. Um, I tried probably a new job every like year to two and a half years since mm-hmm. graduating college. And it was like, okay, this didn't work. What about this? Okay. That wasn't yep. really the industry, maybe this, but it was still, you know, while I was doing that, I was still like parallel walking this path of like wanting to do something in wellness, but Mm-hmm. not feeling like I could, or it was the right time or, you know, all of these outside kind of like conversations, like you're not going to be able to support yourself doing this X, Y, Z. We're still what I was dealing with, but now I'm finally like in a way, fuck it. Like, it's yeah. like, I have to do this now. Like there's Absolutely. no other way. And it's, it's funny. Cause that's literally what that first 30 years is for. So I'm yeah. something called a one three. So my whole life is going to be this trial and error process. Yeah. Um, which kind of cracks me up a bit. The other thing to kind of keep in mind is, so that first 30 years of your life, um, there's something that's in your chart really strongly called bonds made broken. And so our bonds made broken phase is the relationships that we call in during these first 30 years aren't necessarily going to be the people that we walk our entire life with. And I think that there's some, there's a lot of programming that we take in just societally and culturally um, that play into this whole like third line. So we're told from the time we're kids, especially if we were the kids of boomers, like you pick your career path and that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Like you, and I think that the fact that you've had a different job every year and a half, like I, I would change even within the 13 years that I worked in education, I went from being a teacher to a coach, to a salesperson, to in this industry. And like my position kept changing. And a lot of times that would freak, uh, you know, parents or adults of a certain age, but you know what I mean? Like I was like, you know, the people of a certain age would kind of freak out and say like, that's too much change. People look at that really poorly on a resume. And that's just not what our generation Mm -hmm. sees it as. Like we're really all kind of in pursuit of what's going to make me happy. What's going to give me the greatest joy and how can I use my gifts in that way? So the bonds made broken could be that bond within the career of like, this is not a right fit. I'm searching for the right fit. So like I learned what I could from this position and now I'm breaking the bond and moving forward. Or it could be expressed in our relationships. Like I'm not someone who has friends that I've had since I was in kindergarten. And like, there was nothing wrong with me as a kindergarten. I was fucking delightful. I was a cute little <laughs> thing, but like, you know, I can't, so I can't really like hold yeah. you know, myself responsible for not having relationships that have lasted that long. Because not every relationship is meant to. So a big part of that third line, and and you're kind of walking out of that era of the time in your life where, like, there's probably friendships that have dissolved over that time. There's probably relationships that may have been, like, short and intense, but then, like, you learned what you need to learn and you broke the bond. Um, And if you did have a person that came in, like, your sixth line lets you know that there's a soulmate relationship coming. And it may be someone you meet during that first 30 years, and they're meant to walk with you through your trial and error. 
or it might be someone that you meet now that you've kind of gone through the trial and error process and you've learned the lessons and now they're meant to walk yeah. with you kind of for a longer period of time. And just because it's a soulmate doesn't mean it's going to be forever, but it's going to be a very deep kind of intense relationship where there's a lot of learning that happens. Interesting. Well, that brings up another question. Are there certain mm -hmm. um, compatibilities between types like with astrology? Like, oh, yeah. you know, a projector is really good with a generator or something like this. I actually, what I do is I tend to say, I think there's almost too much emphasis put on our type. Um, I would look at your okay. centers because like, for example, if I was with somebody who had um, their emotional solar plexus defined, that might not be the best thing for me because they're going to be riding their wave. And I actually need time to like, not to kind of shake off their emotional energy. And if there's someone who's living with me and they're in a rough spot and they're constantly on this high, low, high, low roller coaster, that's going to be really draining and really hard for me to kind of be around. So I always look at it from a center perspective. Okay. Like I know the projectors, you guys probably won't sleep very well next to someone who's a generator or a manifesting generator, because it's almost like, you know, when you have your phone at night and you plug it in to, to charge, mm -hmm. like if you plug it in and actually turn on the do not disturb, it's a much easier kind of way to recharge. Like that's almost like a projector. will. they turn on the do not disturb so they're not getting the flashing lights and the notifications and the sounds all night. Whereas a generator, it's almost like they just plug their phone in and like they're getting notifications. It's flashing, like all it's buzzing. All this stuff is still happening. Whereas a projector, it's almost like they turn the damn phone off and that's how it's recharging. Right. right? So if you're sleeping next to someone who's a generator and their, their, you know, metaphorical phone is going off all night, you're not going to sleep very well. It's almost like their motor is still humming and you have a hard time completely recharging. So a lot of times projectors and generators or projectors and manifesting generators, you kind of need your own sleep space. So if you're cool with that kind of non-traditional, like, okay, well, a couple nights a week, you sleep in the guest room or I sleep in the mm -hmm. guest room, um, then you're fine. I think the heart's going to want what it wants. Um, but I think in terms of like compatibility wise, I would just look at your different centers. Um, like one thing you want to keep in mind, your self center is closed and your spleen is closed. And so for you, that you're going to provide a ton of security and a ton of like, um, just safety to people who have those centers open in their chart. Like a lot of times people with open spleens don't even realize that they seek out people with a closed spleen because it's a sense of security. And there are people um, like me who have our self-centered undefined. Like I'm much more comfortable than I was even six months ago in having my life path being open and changing and having that kind of like um, almost like boat adrift on the waves kind of way of living mm -hmm. my life. But there are some people who don't. They really, like, need security. They need consistency. They need to know that someone knows what they're doing and where they're going. And so a lot of times I notice that people with that self-centered define end up with people in their life where I'm like, why are they there? They're not treating you well. They're not giving you – like, they're not pouring into your cup. They're just, like, expecting – or they're pouring into your cup and not letting you right. pour into theirs. Like, it's just a lot of – like, it's unbalanced. Um, and so, the like, I don't know. I just – I worry about people who have that center open. You don't want to have people that are hangers-on just because you make them feel safe as opposed to getting nothing in return. So it's more of, I always tell people look more on the center level when you're looking at someone else's chart, like how are these two things going to be compatible? Um, and the root, the spleen, the emotional solar plexus and the self, I think are the best places to okay. look. And do you also do couple charts? Oh, I do. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And I even do things for people where I don't even need to have the second half of the couple present um <laughs> because sometimes like you know one partner's really into it the other one yeah. isn't and like they just kind of want to know 
Um, or maybe there's someone that you have a crush on, or maybe there's someone in your life that you're like, I don't know why we're having this kind of consternation. Maybe this is another lens to right. take a look at it. So like, I will either sit down with two people at once and walk them through where they're alike and where they're different, or I can sit you down and walk you through, here's you and your crush. Yeah. Your, your significant you know, other. Your best yeah. friend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and walk, yeah, and walk you through the two and the kind of energy dynamics of both of those That's things. That's so cool. Yeah. So try to get, and I always say I'll tell people, try to get as close to the birth okay. as possible. Um, because it's definitely like the moon kind of changes. It's, you know, in it's transit every two and a half days. So that impacts like exactly where the gates like where the different planets land with your gates. And that's the other thing which we didn't have time to get into today. When I do readings for people, I get as granular as like, as I'm looking at your, you know, your channel of struggle, for example, your unconscious and conscious Mercury live there. And so Mercury brings a specific energy to that channel. So it's going to like, it's going to, you know, come alive in your life about how you communicate with other people. And so we can kind of walk through um, the planets and their influence, what line of the hexagram it lives on and that influence. And then we can kind of go through exactly like whether it's a gift or whether it's a lesson in a teaching because I believe that there's not like flaws that we're given if there's a fear that we're given or a, something that's like challenging mm -hmm. in our chart it's meant to teach us something it's meant to help us right. kind of like you know up level so the next time we reincarnate we you know we can kind of maybe we've learned that lesson we don't need to learn it yeah again. okay so let's transition into a little bit more about some of the things that you've done to start your business for anyone else mm -hmm. that's, you know, either in the beginning stages or maybe a year or more in, um, some of the mm -hmm. maybe milestones that you set for yourself or some of the things that you did really well when, you know, first kind of like forming, um, your, your company. So, oh my goodness. My, I feel like I'm doing this all by trial yeah. and error, like a true mother. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I felt like, well, I'm a one three. So I knew I had to investigate the hell out of something and feel really secure about it before I was able to share it with mm -hmm. other people. So I think like I had started studying human design long before I even started blogging about it or I took on clients. And so I think sometimes the propensity when people get the inkling that they want to like start a business or go into that space, sometimes they think about all the physical things they have to have first. Like I need to have a website. I need to have an Instagram account. I need to, you know, have a Twitter feed or I need to do They think about all those like kind of surface right. level things as opposed to like really building up their knowledge and their understanding first. And so when I got the ping to launch Interior Creature, I owned that domain for a good six months before I did anything with it. Like I didn't know what I wanted it to look like. And so I knew what I was going to call it. I just didn't know what it would actually look like on the physical plane. And then I had to kind of give myself time and space to do the research, to write, to kind of read, to really feel comfortable and confident with what I was going to share before I put it out mm. there. Um, and I think that um, I'm trying to kind of, kind of phrase this a little bit. Like, I think we worry sometimes about the stuff that right. doesn't matter, like follower count on Instagram or, you know, um, who can I, I don't know. So I just feel like giving yourself that time and space to research, to reflect, to yeah. really get into your craft before you kind of go public with it. And then I had written several blogs in the past. I used to be a member of the National Book Critic Circle. So I'd written a book review blog prior to this, like years ago, back when I actually uh -huh. had time for doing what <laughs> I love. Um, so I knew what worked and what didn't work in terms of like setting up a blog in terms of where I, how I wanted host to host it and what I wanted the aesthetic to look like. And you know, the branding and making sure that looked cohesive and coherent. Cause I, so basically like, I think do your research as well. Like that was really helpful for me to go onto other people's sites, to listen to podcasts, to immerse myself in this community and try to figure out like what feels in alignment with who I am, what feels, um, good in my own integrity, what feels like something that like might 
not saying it's bad or wrong, but it just isn't something I would do, but maybe it totally works for other people. Kind of giving yourself that time and that space to like find your style and not beating yourself up when you do something that doesn't align with it. Because you'll try things out and you're going to be like, ooh, that didn't work. But like, that's not, a, I don't know, you shouldn't yeah. kind of kick your, your own butt for that. Like you're, give yourself the grace yeah, to fall. totally. And it should be fun, right? Like exactly what you said, yeah. do some things that you think you might like, just try them out, see if they feel good. And if they yeah. don't, you can always try something new. Um, yeah, absolutely. You're not going to know unless you kind of try it on. Exactly. Um, and how can, you know, people find you? It's at Interior Creature, all one word. Um, I also have a website, interiorcreature.com. Those are the places you'll find me kind of most frequently. And from there, there's a link to both my calendar if you uh, feel called to get a personal reading. Um, and there's also going to be a link to the You by Design, which is my subscription service. So I, what I would do is basically I tell everyone when they come to my website, start with the New to Human Design tab. Click there because my blog runs um, basically every day. It's whatever I'm posting. That's the thing at the front. But that's going to confuse you if you're mm-hmm. coming new to this. So start with the new to, new to Human Design tab. And actually from there, you'll be able to see there's like a really clear click path in terms of, okay, you just ran your chart. Great. Here's, wh- here's the link to the article that explains what human design is. Here's a link to each of the centers. And it talks about the open center if it's open, the center if it's closed. And I would start kind of your reading and your study there. And if it speaks to you from there, then I would definitely check out You by Design. And there's a link in the, on the website as well to that. See if that's something that like, appeals to you for our next Beautiful. Step. And you're available in person and also over uh, Skype mm-hmm. sessions? Yeah. So if you happen to live in Phoenix, I would love to do this in person. But um, I definitely, um, yeah, I, de- I do everything vir- virtually via okay. Zoom typically. So I also record audio and video of our reading as well. So what you get when I read your chart is, um, and you and I are the only differences because we're recording this as a podcast. That's the only way it's a little bit different, but typically I'll have people on zoom. I do audio and video. And then I send you a Dropbox folder that has, um, an analysis, not just of your type, your centers, your strategy, your authority, but it goes into your chart, your channels, your center, your gates, um, your profile, your incarnation cross. That's all specific to you in terms of where your planets live, where what's on which line in the hexagram. And we walk through all of it over that hour and a half. Um, and I give you time to answer, to ask questions and kind of like probe a little bit deeper. And typically what people do then is they, they uh, book a follow-up a little bit later. Um, that's super low cost if they have any sort of like questions they want to answer. Or they just send them to me in an email and I'll respond back if it's like awesome. one or two. Um, because I know like it's a lot of mm-hmm. information in, in one point in time, which is why I video and audio it. So you have like either modality. It's almost like being on your own yeah. podcast. You can, like take me with you on the car and like listen to your human design. Uh, that's reading. awesome. Yeah. I mean, there, we went over a lot today and I'm definitely going to hear, like, listen yeah, to the. We didn't even scratch the yeah, surface. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think that's great that you can also follow up with you for like little mini sessions after the initial reading. They're my favorite part of my day. Um, and I think they give kind of the clearest path to understanding your chart. Beautiful. So. I would definitely, uh, I would definitely encourage you guys if that's something you're interested in, if you'll call for, just like check out the website. And okay. You know. Well, Jacqueline, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. This has been really, oh, thank you. Yeah, it was a pleasure. It was such a pleasure. And you are so knowledgeable about everything human design. And I love, yeah, definitely. Let yeah, me know. this is thank awesome. You. And uh, thanks again. Yeah. Take care. And thank you so Absolutely. much for having me.